lecture for the first class this morning is our brother Cyril Tennant. And the studies for the week are studies in the prophecy of Hosea. And our class today is entitled, Go Take Unto Thee a Wife. Brother Cyril has asked us to read Hosea chapter 1. I call upon our brother Cyril Tennant to lead us in our first study, Go Take Unto Thee a Wife. Brother Cyril. My dear brethren and sisters, we have in our consideration of Hosea this morning and through, throughout this week, the privilege of considering a message which is somewhat unique in the Old Testament scripture. Because here we have an Old Testament book which has a New Testament message. The book of Hosea is about forgiveness. It is about God's handling of sin. It reveals to us how God in fact deals with sinners and it gives great hope of forgiveness to those who will respond. The message is on three levels. First of all there is the story of Hosea and his wife Gomer and that domestic situation is revealed in the first three chapters and although we don't read again of that domestic situation throughout the book we are to, to, to carry our understanding of that relationship right the way through because it is upon that relationship which the book is built. Secondly we have God's relationship with Israel and that is based upon Hosea's relationship with Gomer and so we see first of all how Hosea handled Gomer who was an adulterous wife secondly we see how God handled Israel who became an adulterous people who went out in search of other gods but thirdly and this is the most important to us chapter 1 talks about the sons of the living God the end of verse 10 and there is the message all the way through this book designed for ourselves if we've come here just this week to learn history then we're wasting our time if we've come to see the relevance of the word of God to ourselves then we shall find it and we shall find it in abundance and so the message is indeed one for ourselves just a word about the structure of the book the book does not run through chronologically that is, we don't start at chapter 1 and historically move through to chapter 14. What we do have is a series of messages. The first one in chapter 1 commences right at the beginning, as we'd expect, and runs right through to the kingdom of God. And in actual fact, verse 1 of chapter 2 does form at the end of chapter 1. And so we have first of all a message which spans the whole of God's program beginning with his calling of his people right through to the kingdom of God then we start again with another message which starts somewhere in between the ark enlarging upon some detail which God has dealt with in chapter 1 and then running again out to the kingdom of God and so each message begins somewhere within this ark but always ends with a picture of the kingdom of God and in this way we have not only the wickedness of Israel revealed to us in great detail and in that there is a warning to ourselves but we always have the glimpses of the kingdom of God there is always this, this hope, this peace of the coming kingdom of God and the glory which is there yet to be revealed one other thing about the book is that Hosea is remarkable in his use of Bible names now as you will know biblical names always have meanings and those meanings quite often are built into the history which surrounds them but there is no book like that of Hosea which makes such rich use of those names and we have to pause all the way through to see what names mean to understand his message properly we have a good exercise in that uh, in a few moments in chapter 1 but not only do we have the meanings of names we also have the significance of names for example Beth El meaning house of God 
the place to which the people of God repaired quite often when they wished to um, recall their vows and renew their vows. Abraham, you remember, and his sons went back into uh, Bethel, the house of God. And so we have the house of God used like that. But then in a most ironical way, Hosea suddenly comes up with the name Beth-Avon, which means house of wickedness. They had turned the house of God into a house of wickedness, and so he changes the name from Beth-El to Beth-Avon. We have therefore to be on the lookout all the time for the meanings of names in this particular way. Now, looking at verse 1 of chapter 1, and incidentally we shall have titles for our uh, six addresses, but we shan't take much notice of them. Um, we are always asked to send titles in well in advance and they look well on the program but when one comes down to study the actual text one finds a great deal more than could be contained by the titles we shall therefore cover the titles but we hope to cover a great deal more in fact we hope to cover most of the text of Hosea the 14 chapters in, uh, in our sessions we're starting with chapter 1 verse 1 then for the moment and we will notice how long was the ministry of Hosea. This was no campaign which lasted over a weekend or indeed a sustained effort for a week. Here we have a man who, during the reigns of the kings mentioned here in verse 1, was busy in his ministry with Israel. We don't know just how long he ministered, but the, uh, the least he could have ministered would have been 25 years. And the most would have been something like 98 years to work within the span of these kings here. Possibly we have a ministry of 40, 50 years. And during that time, Hosea served an apprenticeship. The wickedness of the people is revealed to us in chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, no mercy, no knowledge of God in the land. Here was a people chosen to be the custodians of the word of God, chosen to become a kingdom of priests, and yet we read of them, there was no truth, there was no mercy, there was no knowledge of God in the land. And verse 2 describes what happens when there is no knowledge of God. There is swearing, there is lying, there is killing, there is stealing, there is a committing of adultery, and there is murder. Blood flowed like water, and the kings passed across the throne of the ten-tribed nation in rapid succession. You will notice in verse 1 how it is by the kings of Judah that the time is ticked off, but just to give us a location and the time, we have one king of the ten tribes, that of Jeroboam. Now, let me say at the outset, we are concerned in the book of Hosea with the ten tribe kingdom. Judah is mentioned quite infrequently, two or three times only, but the message is mainly for the ten tribe kingdom. And the message which comes through to us, without any doubt at all, is that the ten tribe kingdom was to become extinguished. There was to be no future at all for the ten tribe kingdom. The two tribes would come out of captivity. They would return for a short time and they would live in the land. But never again would the ten tribes emerge as a kingdom. Oh yes, we know that the ten tribes, along with the two, will be preserved uh, as a remnant and together will form the basis of the kingdom of God. But the ten tribe kingdom, which was a breakaway from the main kingdom of God, will never again exist. And right the way through Hosea we find how God deals with Israel and the poetic name is Ephraim. We'll look at that a little later and what it means but the message is to them and it is a very sad, a very somber, a very sobering message. But all the time we should remember that it is a message for ourselves as verse 10 tells us to the sons of the living God. Let's take our first exercise now in the meanings of names. Verse 1 again. 
We have Jeroboam, who is the only king mentioned from the ten tribes, and his name means enlarger, enlarger, getting bigger. And he conveys to us the impression of that attitude of mind of grasping. You know, we open one village store and we're not satisfied with that, so we open another one. And before long we have a chain of stores, we, we grow, we enlarge. But of course the things of God grow smaller. And that is the implication here. Jeroboam is typical of the ten tribes who broke away from the two tribes because they wanted to enlarge, they wanted to be themselves, they wanted to be somebody and to give expression to themselves. Now all the names of the kings of Judah, starting with Uzziah, have something to do with God. For example, Uzziah means Yah is strong. Jotham, Yah is perfect. Ahaz, he holds. Hezekiah, Yah is strength. So you see the unique situation we have right at the beginning. God was with the two tribes or with the kingdom of God as established. He was their strength. He was their controller. He held them. The ten tribes broke away to enlarge themselves and they broke away from God. And the message right the way through Hosea is how godless the people had become. They did indeed break away. Well now let's look at the message. We've looked at the times of Hosea. We've seen the situation, the environment and the names of the kings. Let's now get down to the message itself by looking at the meaning of the name Hosea. Hosea means Yah is help or God is our saviour connected with the name O.C. which later became Joshua O.C. meaning saviour Joshua meaning Yah is saviour and Hosea you can see the connection even in the English language which is not very much different from the Canadian language um, and it means God is help or God is saviour. So we set the tone of the book. This is a book about God's salvation. How God deals with sin and with sinners. We must not forget that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That we have no rights with God. We have no right to immortality. We can lay no claims to the kingdom of God. And all that is our hope, and it is embedded in those things, can only come because God is our saviour and he is the one who is going to lift us up and to make something of us, though we don't deserve it. And that is the, uh, the message behind this wonderful book of Hosea. God is help. God is our saviour. In a sense, we are taken immediately, of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and in many ways, Hosea is a parallel of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose name was Emmanuel, meaning God with us, who was a revelation of God amongst men in order to bring about man's salvation. And so we have Hosea in this unique position. First of all, to bring salvation in a much lesser way to his wife Gomer and then by type to the nation of Israel but by greater teaching to that new nation the sons of the living God you notice his father's name is Beery and the meaning of Beery is welling forth or my well and so we have salvation coming from the well which is typical of the Lord Jesus Christ who drank deeply of the wells of salvation before he could become the water of life. All his words, all his works were, he said, of his Father who is the water of life. And so we have Hosea who is to be the Saviour coming from the well of life. 
he is commanded by God to take a wife. Verse 2. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. There is something which is offensive to our thinking in that verse that Hosea should be commanded by God to take an adulterous wife and so we are meant to look again at the verse and see just what it really means now incidentally there is one thing about Bible exposition which is very simple very important but so often overlooked the first thing is to see what the Bible is actually saying. What is God saying to us? In other words, what is contained in verse 2? Having understood what God is saying, the next thing is to try to understand the message. What is contained in the words which are there for us? And how do they apply to us? Now, all too often, as is the case in verse 2 here, Brethren, sisters, will go off at a tangent by looking for explanations before they have tried to understand what God is actually saying. Now look at verse 2 carefully. The end of the verse says, For the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. Hosea is to take a wife, and that wife is to parallel the behavior of the children of Israel. And what did Israel do? They departed from the Lord. Therefore, Gomer was to depart from Hosea. In other words, she was not to be an adulterous person when first chosen. She was to become an adulterous person in departing from him from Hosea, as in fact the children of Israel had departed uh, from God. Now that is borne out when we look very carefully at the meaning of the name Gomer. The name Gomer means perfect, complete. And so when chosen as a wife, she was perfect, she was complete. And we read in chapter 2, verse 7, the end of the verse, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. So Hosea married Gomer, and she married her first husband at that time. She was faithful up to that time. There's an interesting parallel to this in Jeremiah chapter 2. Remember how we pointed out yesterday the figures of speech which run right the way through um, the book of Jeremiah. Those figures of planting and building. First of all, tearing out the old plantation and replanting. Knocking down the old building and rebuilding. Well, here in verse 21 we read, chapter 2, Yet had I planted thee a noble vine, wholly a right seed, how then art thou turned into a degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? So God had selected a noble vine. He had selected a right seed. And of course he did in the person of Abraham. The stock was good, but they became a degenerate plant of a strange vine unto God. And so back into Hosea, there we have the same situation. Hosea married a good wife initially, as far as he could tell. But of course we must add one other thing here, and that is that the heart of man is indeed deceitful of all things and desperately wicked, and the seeds of our iniquity are already with us. Cain, it is said, was a murderer from the beginning, and only revealed that fact in his slaying of Abel. Pharaoh was that kind of man that he would become when under pressure from God from the beginning. 
And so although technically speaking Gomer was perfect and undefiled when taken to be the wife of Hosea, nevertheless the seeds of adultery were already there and God knew, as we saw in Jeremiah yesterday, chapter 1, God is able to foresee what kind of person we will turn out to be and he knew what kind of person Gomer would be. And so we have verse 2 saying, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. In other words, Hosea is saying, way back in the beginning of my experiences, and he had long experiences, long troubled domestic issues. Way back in the beginning of my experiences, God said to me, go and take this woman, in brackets, who will become an adulterous woman. God knowing that she was, in heart, an adulterous person. And so we have this wife selected. You'll notice too that her father's name is, verse 3, Deblame. Deblame. Which means double cluster of figs. <coughs> which carries with it the idea of pleasure. And so just as Hosea was the son of the well, willing forth to bring forth the waters of life, so Gomer is the daughter of pleasure, the daughter of fruitfulness. And incidentally, the um, poetic name which is given to Israel, Ephraim, which we shall see used time and time again, means doubly fruitful. And you've noticed how those names all come together with that idea of Jeroboam enlarger. It's all that of seeking to become bigger, to become more fruitful, to enjoy the pleasures of this world. And that is precisely what Israel did, and that is precisely where our dangers lie. That we are not satisfied with just a little. We must have more and more of that which the world has to offer. And so the daughter of Deblame, the daughter of pleasure, the daughter of a double cluster of fruits. She bears now her first child, and this child was, I believe, a child born in wedlock, born to Hosea, you will notice. Um, it is said specifically that she bore him a son, the end of verse 3, and so Jezreel is the true son. The other two children are born in rapid succession, but they are not born to Hosea, they are children born out of wedlock, born of her adultery, but more of that in a moment. We're looking now at Jezreel, which means God sows. Look at verse 4. The Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. Now you'll notice how the sowing is built into the message. Uh, at the end of verse 11, great shall be the day of Jezreel. When we come into verse 22 of chapter 2, the earth shall hear the corn and the wine shall, uh, and the wine and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel, and I will sow her unto me in the earth. Do you see Jezreel? The meaning being, I will sow, God sows, is interwoven into the message. But come back into verse 4. Three reasons why this child's name is to be Jezreel, or God sows. Now there are two senses in which one can sow. There's a sense in which one reaps that which one has sown, in other words, we reap the consequences of our iniquity. And in our reading this morning, we notice how David was beginning to reap the consequences of his own sin. He had been forgiven by God, but the consequences remained. And that is always the case in Scripture, that although we are forgiven when we seek our forgiveness, the consequences will remain and they form a kind of an additional purging. They make our repentance 
even purer, even more complete. And so there, there is this sowing in the sense of God's judgment, God pouring out his judgment upon the people, as we shall see uh, in this first chapter. But there is also the sense of sowing as a farmer will sow his seed in order to produce a harvest. And that second sense is in this verse 22, you'll notice, of chapter 2 and verse 23. I will sow her unto me in the earth. This is an allusion to the time when the kingdom of God will be established and new Israel will be sown in the earth as a kingdom of priests. And it will be our responsibility if in the mercy of God we are there to be sown in the world as his kingdom of priests to instruct the world in righteousness. I will sow her unto me in the earth and I will have mercy upon her uh, that have not obtained mercy. But now back into verse 4. The first sense of sowing we have called his name Jezreel for yet a little while and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu. Now although Jehu did many good things in God's service nevertheless he caused a great deal of slaughter uh, a great deal of bloodshed and all that was to be avenged upon the house of Jehu. If we turn for a moment into 2 Kings chapter 10 Verses 30, 31. The Lord said unto Jehu, Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and hast done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in mine heart, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam which made Israel to sin. And so there are troubles which come in the life of Jehu, but it is not until the fourth generation that his children are removed from the throne, that the dynasty of the ten-tribe kingdom is changed. But this is a prophecy of that in Hosea. I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu his dynasty was to be taken away his children were no longer to be upon the throne and it is in the second book of Kings chapter 15 we needn't turn to this where that dynasty does in fact come to an end but the second reason is given and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel not just was the dynasty of Jehu to end and be replaced by another dynasty, but the whole kingdom of the ten tribes was to end. I want you to notice the finality with which Hosea describes the ending of the ten tribe kingdom. They will never again emerge as a kingdom. The ten tribes will not be lost. The ten tribes will be regathered and take their place amongst the two to form the remnant of the twelve tribe kingdom. But never again will the ten tribe kingdom exist. And so it is said here in verse 4, I will cause the house of the kingdom uh, to cease. And indeed God does that um, as the prophecy of Hosea makes very clear to us. But the third sowing... It comes to the sons of the living God mentioned in verse 10, uh, something which is developed a little later. You remember how we said that the, uh, the structure of the book is as a series of arcs, where each message begins somewhere within the span of the main arc, deals with the message, enlarging the story somewhat, and then shooting off to the kingdom of God. Well, this business here of the sons of the living God is something to which Hosea returns time and time again and fills in greater detail and each time he shoots out to the kingdom of God to show that the making of this new race of people, the sons of the living God, are related to the kingdom of God. 
And so we have a picture towards the end of chapter 1 of the kingdom of God. Verse 11. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head and they shall come up out of the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. This is the final regathering of the remnant of the ten and the two tribes. It is looking beyond the destruction of the ten tribe kingdom. Looking to the time when after great tribulation spoken of by Joel when the Lord will roar out of Zion he will gather the remnant back and they will become his people for great shall be the day of Jezreel. And verse 1 of chapter 2 Side 2 be the last verse of chapter 1 you can link it up in your Bible if you wish because when that time comes you will notice say ye unto your brethren army and to your sisters Ru'ama we didn't mention the meanings of the names of the other two sons, children rather verse 6 lo Ru'ama meaning not having obtained mercy. Lo army, meaning not my people. And so we have first of all the true son, Jezreel, declaring God's purpose by the meaning of his name, showing of God's judgments upon Israel and of God's final regathering of Israel, and we have that message reinforced by the meanings of the names of the other two children. For in the cutting off of the ten tribes, God will not have mercy. They will no more be his people. There's a dreadful finality about that for the ten tribes. They've become so utterly and completely wicked. You notice now in verse 1 of chapter 2 that instead of low army, we have just army. Instead of low Ru'ama, we have Ru'ama. So when the kingdom of God is established, Jezreel, representative of the sons of the living God, will be able to say unto the remnant who have been saved, Ami, which means my people. Ru'ama, which means having obtained mercy. So the names which immediately... Uh, which originally meant not having obtained mercy and not my people are now changed by Hosea to become having obtained mercy and having become my people. So there in chapter 1 we have this very simple story, a very simple outline of the end of the ten tribe kingdom depicted by the life of Gomer in the marriage relationship with Hosea but interwoven all the way through is this golden thread of the remnant and it is the Apostle Paul who points out that uh, those who were not a people but now are a people include the Gentiles he in fact quotes this verse doesn't he in Romans but that includes the Gentiles and therefore we ourselves are included in this final message. Now, chapter 2. Starting in verse 2, which is the beginning of the chapter. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight, and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked. You notice what is happening in verse 2. Plead with your mother, plead, are words which must be spoken to Jezreel, the faithful son. The faithful son who is a type now of the faithful of all generations 
the type of those who will become the sons of the living God. And he, the faithful son, is being asked by his father to plead with his mother and to plead with his, in brackets, brother and sister. It is the responsibility of the faithful of all ages to plead with the unfaithful, to take God's message unto the unfaithful, a message of forgiveness, a message of deliverance. And where we fail to recognize this and to take that message with, with us to other people, we shall fail ourselves to be recipients of that salvation. Because it is only in so far as we understand the working of the atonement and determine to become a part of that atonement ourselves in our preaching, an extension of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that our own purification will take place and our own participation in salvation will happen. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife. Notice now the serious nature of adultery. Illicit relationships break the marriage. Notice the words of Hosea. She is not my wife. I am not her husband. That, brethren and sisters, is how serious illicit relationships are. In the age in which we live, there is a great deal of freedom of talk, of freedom of behavior. And if Christ remains away in the days of our children yet to come, it will be commonplace to have illicit relationships. And it will be difficult for us to preach against it. Now, whilst there is still the opportunity, now, whilst there are still some vestiges of morals remaining, it is our responsibility to teach how serious the situation is when young people have illicit relationships, and indeed older people too. It breaks completely the marriage relationship. Let us look again at Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 3, 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. Incidentally, chapter 3, which we did just touch upon yesterday, deals with this same situation. But chapter 31 of Jeremiah... <laughs> Verse 32. Now according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, sorry, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And incidentally, one of the chapters in Hosea we look at later in the week speaks of God as a father leading his child. And this is a parallel reference. In the day that I took thee, he says, by the hand to bring you out of the land of Egypt. Notice now, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them. No longer a husband. The covenant is broken. But he was, he had been a husband to them. Ezekiel chapter 16. <coughs> Ezekiel chapter 16, and we're looking at verse 38. And I will judge thee as women that break wedlock, and shed blood are judged, and I will give thee blood in fury and jealousy. Notice, I will judge thee as women that break wedlock. Adulterous behavior breaks wedlock. Now, incidentally, um, we have in Ezekiel 16 an explanation of Deuteronomy 24. 
That word uncleanness in Deuteronomy 24, which so often uh, becomes a point of discussion, whether it means some premarital offence or not. Well, here the word of uncleanness is used in verse 37, and the word is translated here, nakedness. But you will notice in verse 26, their sins are described as fornication, which could be a premarital offence. But in verse 32, they are described as adultery, which is an after-marriage offence. And they are both brought together in verse 37 and referred to as nakedness or uncleanness. Therefore, that word in Deuteronomy 24 can refer to premarital offence, but can also refer to a post-marital offence. And the teaching which we have very clearly given to us here in Hosea is that such behaviour breaks the marriage bond. Now there is a spiritual counterpart to this which we mustn't miss. Let us go into 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're looking at verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ's? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? Now we've seen how in the Old Testament scripture, the reference is already, that adultery breaks the marriage and binds the adulterer to the adulteress. A new relationship is formed. And so Paul says here in verse 15, if we transgress against God, we are being taken away from the body of Christ and we are being joined to a harlot. We are being joined to another body which is not that of Christ. Therefore, just as illicit relationships are serious to the marriage relationship, so our incursions into the world are also serious. Brother Ken was exhorting us last night about seeing these things in advance and looking ahead and preparing for the temptation which might come to us. When the temptation comes, it may very well be too late. We may find ourselves already joined to a harlot. And there were those in the church of Corinth who, although still breaking bread, were in fact joined to an harlot. And that is a sad situation. There may be those who break bread with us Sunday by Sunday, who because of their hopes and aspirations in worldly matters have already ceased to be members of the body of Christ and have become members of a harlot, spiritually speaking. Come back to Hosea chapter 2. <coughs> now, it is a wonderful thing that although we read in verse 2, she is not my wife, neither am I her husband, Although we have read in chapter 1 that God will make an end of the ten-tribe kingdom, it is a wonderful thing that still there is in chapter 2 a great deal of very real exhortation. Where God is pleading, and that is the meaning of the word plead here, plead with your mother, plead. She's broken this marriage relationship, but it is still not too late for something to be done about it. And so it is, when we commit transgression, so says John, we have an advocate with the Father. It is still not too late if we recognize the situation. But notice how in this second chapter, God deals with sin. And the wonderful thing to start with is that we have Hosea dealing with Gomer. Now, think of the background. 
we have a wife who had been selected by Hosea who has now had two children at least born out of wedlock Hosea who is no doubt distressed by this heartbroken by his own experiences is now seeking to repair the situation and takes the faithful son to plead with his mother a little lesson aside here by the way which I think we should remember it is very often easier to get through to a parent through the children than it is to go to the parent direct that where there is a brother or sister perhaps going off the rails doing, getting too involved in things <coughs> in the world it is very often easier to approach that brother or sister through their children than it is to go direct and so with the proclamation of the truth it is quite often easier to preach the truth to adults by approaching first their children and this is an excellent opportunity to go through our Sunday school scholars to their parents to preach God willing we talk about that again tonight but that is what is uh, illustrated here in the beginning of this exhortation but notice now how Hosea deals with this situation of a wife who is going in search of other husbands illicit, illicit relationships three times the word therefore is used verse 6, verse 9 and verse 14 and each time the word therefore is used it is the beginning of a stage of redemption it is how Hosea dealt first of all with Gomer in the second stage it is how God dealt with Israel in the third stage it is how God deals with us verse 6 therefore behold I will hedge up thy way with thorns I will make a wall that she shall not find her paths she shall follow after her lovers but she shall not overtake them now this is a wonderful thing to me brethren and sisters that Hosea is still so concerned for his wife Gomer that he is going to hedge about her way and he is going to make it difficult for her to do the wrong thing he doesn't just throw up his hands and say well that's what she's chosen let her go he now makes it difficult for her to do the wrong thing and that is how God dealt with Israel he made it difficult for Israel to do the wrong thing he set her way about with a hedge of thorns and that is how God deals with us today he will sometimes make it difficult for us to do the wrong thing have you never thought of embarking upon some program some new job some new business venture in which you have become involved and perhaps totally obsessed but which would have taken you away from the truth and in the early stages everything has gone wrong you have not been able to sign up the contracts properly all things have been going in the wrong direction that if we will hear it is God speaking to us and warning us not to go in the wrong way he is making the way difficult for us but Israel didn't listen they pulled themselves through the hedge of thorns until they were scratched and bleeding and so it is with ourselves so often and it isn't until God takes this hedge of thorns and makes it into a crown which is pressed down upon the head of his son that we realize what that hedge really was there for and how that hedge can help to prevent us from taking way to weed to iniquity the second stage verse 9 and we must move very quickly we have about one minute left verse 9 therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof God now says because they haven't heeded the hedge because they haven't heeded the brick wall I put around them 
I will now take away the blessings and think of Goma first of all that Hosea would cut off her housekeeping as it were she will have no blessings from the home that she might realize that that money did not come from her lovers it came from Hosea and God cut off the blessings of Israel but you notice how he says here in this uh, section verses 9 through the end of verse 13 he will take away the temporal blessings but also the spiritual blessings I will cause her mirth to cease her feast days, her new moons and her sabbaths and her solemn feasts and so with Israel he took away the temporal blessings first and because they didn't respond he took away their spiritual blessings in that they were no longer able to meet in the temple which was ransacked and burned with fire taken into a strange land where they were not able to offer sacrifices the whole scheme and system of God's religion was taken from them and I believe brethren and sisters that we are living on the verge of the time when God will take away from us our ability to meet in peace and quietness as we do today because we do not appreciate what God has done for us how the Sabbaths are defiled how our Sundays are defiled and encroached upon by our labors and by our pleasures because we do not appreciate what God has and is doing for us those things will I believe before very long be taken from us we shall find ourselves meeting in ones and twos no longer strengthened as we are in this way in the final stage verse 14 therefore behold I will endure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her the final stage in Israel's redemption the dreadful pogroms which they have endured throughout the ages how they have been dispersed throughout the whole of the world and persecuted wherever they have been sent and been driven therefore behold I will allure, with, allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her in the midst of her tribulation God would speak to her heart notice I will bring her into the wilderness not drive her into the wilderness God would be in the wilderness of her tribulation and he would there speak comfortably unto her or at the margin says I will speak to her heart but I'm going to finish there uh, as a sort of cliffhanger so that we can pick up our uh, theme again tomorrow and we shall God willing tomorrow look again at the end of chapter 2 before we embark in chapter 3 Hey, brothers and sisters, uh, we'll break for 15 minutes for coffee break.